This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. Passion, drive, and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. See ebaymotors.com. Welcome back, everyone, to FIFA America. I'm your host, Jake. I'm a U.S. Soccer Federation and English FA licensed coach. This is the show where we talk about everything U.S. soccer. And in this episode, we are going deep into the June World Cup. Well, not World Cup yet, but the World Cup preparation roster for the U.S. men's national team, as they have two exhibition games and two Nations League games. And for this, I needed to bring in someone that I would consider a USMNT player pool expert, but maybe he can introduce himself. But Justin Moran, thank you so much for joining us and welcome back to the show. How are Thanks, you? Thanks, Jake. I'm doing pretty well. I'm super excited to be back on and to chat about the roster with you. Yeah, likewise. And since you've last been on, you've had some big family news. You've had a baby. Um, so <laughs> been maybe a little bit more silent on Twitter, uh, but everyone can find you at Kickswish very popular uh, Twitter handle that has lots of great information. But yeah, I'm really excited today to just break down the player pool. I've been away for a week or two, so this is my first time to be able to talk about the roster as well. I think we just have a lot of thoughts that we need to get out in terms of just high level. What does this roster mean? What does it tell us about Greg's intention for these games coming up in June? And then where I'd really love to lean on you is a bit more about maybe who is on the fringes and who needs a bit more playing time to test to see if they can be a piece and a player for the U.S. men's national team going into the World Cup. And maybe players that we've seen before but haven't really built any chemistry with the players around them. So let's let's just dive right into it. I mean, this roster has, I think, 26 or 27 players. Some really critical names that, man, I'm, I'm happy to see them be on a summer roster. Players like Christian Pulisic, Tyler Adams, after really grueling campaigns, it might have been time to give them a break, but they haven't really played together a lot, even West McKinney coming back from that fractured foot injury. Um, but there's also some very surprising names as well, players that we haven't seen and players that haven't even been a part of the national team picture. Someone like Malik Tillman has been in the Germany setup. So, Justin, from your perspective, high level, how does this roster look to you and what are kind of the big top big ticket items that you're taking away from this? I think it's a pretty strong roster for the most part. 
I think you really hit on it in terms of players' club situation, the amount they've played over the past season, and injuries. It's really up to Greg and up to the coaching staff at how they look at what's best. Is it best to get as many reps as possible and to get these guys all together in camp so that they can be maximizing their preparation for the World Cup? Or is it better for them just to have time off? Um, I do think it's interesting the unique situation we have where most of our players are flying transatlantic in order to play internationally. And that's even more on their legs. And so as a fan, I love to see them all here. I love to see Pulisic, McKinney, Adams, all these guys. But um, it's one where guys also could be left off. And Greg did specify some players who specifically were left off for that reason in order to rest them and so that they wouldn't be overburdened, especially guys like Pepe, Busio and Sands, who played a full MLS season and then another half of a European season with no real break. Brought to you by our partners at Bet Online. They continue to be the number one source for all of your betting needs and sports information. Find all of the latest sports developments, including updated odds on the NBA and NHL playoffs, Major League Baseball, fights, and even next season's NFL futures. Bet Online is your continued source for all of your sports wagering needs, including live betting and your favorite Vegas casinos and poker games. It's super easy to get started, so head to the website today or use your mobile device to join and use our promo code BELIEVE, that's B-L-E-A-V, to receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Bet online where the game starts. And who are some of the players that really surprised you? I, I know sometimes we, I mean, at least for me, the roster building aspect of Greg's coaching piece and skill set hasn't really been there for me. That's been kind of his weaker areas as, as I've seen it. But here we've kind of seen his master recruiter hat come back on with, again, players like Malik Tillman, but someone like Haji Wright, who was a highly touted prospect, had more goals and assists than Christian Pulisic in those under-17, under-20 teams for the U.S. So who are those players that you're just really excited to see their names on this roster? Yeah, just going through the list, I think it's good that Cameron Carter-Vickers is here. He's had a tremendous season at Celtic. Watching him play, I don't know that he necessarily raises the level of the team or that he improves upon our starters, but it's really good to have a player like him who's been one of the best in the league in Scotland as a backup or as a depth piece that strengthens the whole team. So I'm glad to see CCV. I'm glad to see EPB. I've been really impressed with EPB's performances in Ligue 1, and he's gone against strong opposition. So good to have EPB. I was a little surprised actually to see Scally. I just am not sure what Greg thinks about Scally or how he rates him, but I'm glad that Joe is here and hopefully he can provide depth both at the left side and the right side. And with Serginho Dest out, it could be a good a good situation for Scali to really get extended minutes and reps with the starters. Good to see Luca De La Torre back. I sometimes with a guy who I think of as a key player but is not a locked in starter, you are a little scared that they might be left out or uh, you just don't know what will happen. So I'm glad Luca's yeah. here. Tillman and Haji are the real surprises. Um, like you said, I think Haji's been in incredible form. He's scored or assisted in um, several straight matches. I think it might be seven, eight, nine, ten matches where he's gotten himself on the score sheet. Um, Tillman's an interesting player. I've watched him a little bit with Bayern. He played more this season with Bayern 2, with Taylor Booth, actually. Um, he can play as a 9, can play as a winger, or as a 10. And I think Greg could even play him as an 8, although 
there are questions about his defense and does he fit that profile of what McKinney and Musa are doing as eights. But those are the players that stick out to me. Yeah. And maybe give us one or two players where you kind of scratch your head and say, do they really need to be here? Oh, I think there's probably four or five. Um, <laughs> I think you can ask questions about George Bellow. Um, the backup left back has been a weakness for us for quite some time. And it's unclear with Joe Scally being here. Is he auditioning for that spot? Is he auditioning for backup right back spot or both? Um, but Bello has not been convincing in World Cup qualifying. And I haven't seen anything in his time with Bielefeld in Germany that would tell me he's going to look different in this camp. So I would have loved to see another experiment, whether that be Kevin Paredes or Jonathan Gomez or Dewan Jones. We have other left backs to test. And this is one of our last opportunities to do any kind of testing. So in some ways, it's more a frustration that that search hasn't already been done, that we haven't already looked and evaluated these players with more depth. But Bellows won, I think Aaron Long, I don't know that his form in MLS merits being called up above a player like John Brooks. Um, we have Christian Roldan, Paul Ariola, Jordan Morris. Um, Roldan and Ariola both playing well in MLS, um, in good form, but that has been true for them for a significant amount of time, right? Roldan has been tremendous for the Sounders, and Ariola doesn't usually struggle to score or assist in MLS. The problem has been that their success at that level has not translated to the international stage. Um, and then Jordan Morris, I think, an exciting player. I wonder how in, how the injuries have affected him. I don't know that he is at the level that he was in 2019 when he really was making an impact. And we do have other players in these positions, again, who haven't been looked at, or at least not with any um, depth. So that's my frustrations. Yeah. Well, let's get into that then, because I think that's a really interesting conversation. These games are some of the last that we'll have going into the World Cup. And especially in the next few months, you would expect and assume that 90% of the roster after this one is going to be the players that we're going to take to the World Cup because we need to start building that chemistry. So in my mind, this is one of the last times that we can start to test and experiment with the players that are on the fringes. So let's just dive into each of these roster spots and start to think about like who, who really needs to be there. We'll talk about Jordan Morris and Paul Ariola, who could potentially take those spots and maybe who, who did Greg miss out on? And let's start with the forwards because everyone starts with the goalkeepers. That's a little boring. We knew we knew it would be at least the three, right? Horvath, Stefan, and uh, Turner. But let's start here with the forwards. We have Brendan Aronson, who has just secured a $30 million transfer to Leeds United in the Premier League, rejoining with Jesse Marsh. We have Paul Ariola, who is genuinely in streaking form for FC Dallas, pairing with Jesus Ferreira. Jesus Ferreira is the next name on this list who I think as of last week, at least, was leading the Golden Boot race in MLS. We have Jordan Morris, who we just talked about. Christian Pulisic, who's coming off of a hot and cold, very interesting season with Chelsea. And Tim Weah, who finished the season strong, but didn't play a ton for Lille. And then Haji Wright, who we've mentioned. So out of those forwards, is Paul Ariel and Jordan Morris like really those two pieces where we probably could have flexed a bit more and experimented with different players? Absolutely. And it doesn't even need to be that both are left off. If I was choosing this roster, I would have left both of them off. 
Um, but this is also only a 27-man roster. We're seeing other nations come into this window calling up 34 or 35-man rosters. And I think that Greg values a tight locker room. I think that he thinks about team culture and relationships a lot, and that he sees detriments to having a lot of players in camp. Um, it could also be that USSF doesn't want to spend the money to fly in 34 or 35 players. I'm not sure about that. But it, you would love to see some other faces in camp, at least to compete for those spots, right? So that's the general idea with every position is that there should be a process of testing, of bringing in different players to see who performs the best, the best performers stay, and there's this constant in and out with the national team. That's how it's meant to be. This isn't a club team where our players are set and they play for years and years. Yeah. So in that sense, then, per personally for me, like I see a name like Paul Ariola, I think he's done... He's maybe well enough is strong even, but I, I'll say it, well enough in the national team colors and he is in great form in MLS. Someone like Jordan Morris, I'm not as convinced about. You talked about his injuries and him recovering from those. Something that made him a really strong player was that burst of speed, was that open field pace. And with the knee injuries, he doesn't look to have that anymore. So one of his biggest strengths are, now seem to be not gone, but reduced. And who who would be those forwards then that that because they both kind of play this this winger kind of def, more defensive type style? Who are those players that you would have brought in to to introduce into the team or start testing like you were talking about? Well, there are several who are actually in camp who might feature in those roles. Um, Georgi Mihailovic and Malik Tillman both listed as midfielders on the roster. So I would. I would evaluate them more highly as wingers than Morris or Ariola at this point. But we do have others just looking through the list. So Cole Bassett is a player who normally plays in the middle as an eight, but is effective on the wing as well. I am not the biggest fan of Cade Cowell, but he is another option, kind of a Morris style player. Um, Kevin Paredes, I love to watch. Um, he's such a special player and he has played very little for Wolfsburg in the spring. But I think there's a conversation to be had about players who are in a club situation like this. Matthew Hoppe and Nico Giochini are similar examples where they move to a club in a top five league, struggle for minutes, right? Play very sparingly. And you do want the players to be in good form in order for them to play with the national team. But when you are as limited as we are with the U.S. in our choices, and you have a player who has played well with the national team before or who has outperformed their level in MLS, so... Kevin Paredes was playing at a level at DC United that earned him a $7 million transfer to Wolfsburg. And some of that transfer was based on his potential, right? But also that their evaluation of him was based on his performances in MLS. So I think when you've made that move, it's hard for me to punish that player and say, no, let me bring Ariola. Ariola's in good form in MLS when we have players who have already exceeded that even though they aren't in good form now. So Paredes is an example of that for me. Um, Dwayne Holmes is another. He will be playing in the championship promotion final on Sunday. So he would have been maybe a late arrival to camp, but Matthew Hoppe, Nico Giochini are two others. And there's a few guys further down the list. Samuel Shashau is a dual national who was reported to file his one-time switch for the U.S., but has not been called up. And then you have Emmanuel Sabi, Richie Ledesma, Joel Senora. So these are getting into the fringe players. 
But again, they're fringe players who have gone almost completely untested. So if you look at the call-ups during Berhalter's tenure, most of these players have never been in camp. And then you look at a guy like Paul Ariola, who's been, this will be his 15th camp, and he has 27 appearances under Berhalter. You mentioned Ariola's performed well enough for the national team, and he has against weaker opponents, but his statistics versus opponents who are ranked in the top 50 of FIFA rankings are really poor. Um, I think that just watching him play, it's easy to see that the technical ability and his ability in tight spaces is something that hurts us because attacks break down when they come to Ariola's feet. He works hard. He's a great teammate. But in order to be an attacking player, you do need to have the quality to combine in the attack and combine in the final third. Yeah. And what what was stopping us from calling in Richie Ledesma? Someone that's finally gotten back into form and fitness for PSV has scored their first senior goal there this season. What, what was stopping us from calling him in, do you think? Berhalter said that Ledesma said he was not ready to come into camp and compete for a spot. Part of that being because he had struggled with injuries so much over this past season and even the one before. And that for the summer, it was most important for him to rest and rehab and to get into good position with PSV for the, the new season in the fall. So there was a conversation there. Greg at least talked to Richie. Um, it doesn't seem like Greg offered a call up to him necessarily, but it does seem like Richie said, no, not at this time. It's not the right time for me. Um, and that's a fair assessment. You know, it's it goes back to what we said about injuries and club situations for some of these players. And this could be true of the others I mentioned as well. You know, the Hoppy, Joaquini, Paredes, it might be best for them not to be in this camp. It might be best for them to either fight for their place at their club or to have a physical break or to look for a new club. But we don't know that that's what Greg's thinking because he doesn't mention these players or he mentions them as being on the outside and saying, I would prefer the Paul Ariola. I would prefer Jordan Morris to these players. Yeah. And I cannot wait to get to the defenders to see what, how we feel about John Brooks. But it is true for someone like Richie Ledesma. And I think we all forget that at these clubs that players are at, they have doctors and scientists telling them that they're in like green, amber, red states of getting re-injured. So for Richie Ledesma, who has come back from a very serious knee injury, has started to get back into game time. Maybe the club is just taking a bit more cautious and Richie is more than happy to, to take that cautious route because maybe it gives him a better option going into the fall and may, maybe making a case for himself going into the World Cup and being maybe one of the, the late additions to the U.S. World Cup roster. Yeah, we do need to have a long-term view, not a short-term. You know, I think there's a camp where there were questions whether Reyna would come in because he was just coming back from injury. And we have to understand that a player's long-term club career is going to be the most impactful for the national team. So if he comes in and plays two games or three games for the U.S., gets injured, and then has to move to a, to a lower-level club team because of it, that hasn't helped us in the long run. And I do think you're right. I think unless someone breaks out in a major way, like Haji Wright has over these past um, few games, but maybe even at a higher level, I don't think we see new faces between now and the World Cup. I think that type of explosion would be the only way that a new face comes in in September. Yeah. Well, maybe let's just quickly touch on the nines because there has been a player that has exploded this season and his name is Jordan Peefock, <laughs> one of the only Americans to ever lead a European league in scoring and to win a golden boot. 
and his name is not on this roster. So is it valid that maybe Jesus Ferreira, Haji Wright, and someone like Malik Tillman are going to be better nine options or better forward options than someone like Jordan Pifak, who led a European league in scoring? Well, we think that Pifak is missing this camp due to injury. He did miss Young Boys last game prior to the roster release after coming off injured the game before. So it's most likely that he's unavailable for this camp. Awesome. That's something that I'm learning because I have not <laughs> been super attached to the U.S. for the last week and a half. So awesome. All right. Let's make a goalkeeper sandwich then so we can finish off strong with the defenders and midfielders. So our goalkeepers are Ethan Horvath, Zach Steffen, and Matt Turner. People that maybe miss the, the cuff here are Sean Johnson. And then Gaga Slanina, we need to talk about him quickly because he was called into the Polish national team camp as the fifth goalkeeper. And before even going to the camp, he made a statement that his, his heart is American. He wouldn't feel the same playing for any other country. And he's committed to the U.S. But to me, I would have thought that meant he'd be on this roster, but he's not. So what's your take on the goalkeeper situation and who he's, who we brought? And then maybe touch on Gaka Slanina and his situation. Well, I do think that the three Greg Chos are correct. I think for me, Horvath is the number one right now. I think it's very tight between he and Matt Turner. I think Zach Steffen is in the top three despite his mistakes and his poor form. If he can... Um, use his skills and abilities, but change the way he plays a little bit stylistically. I think Stefan can still be a good option as a backup. Um, Greg said he talked to Gaga Slonina and that he explained that it wouldn't make sense for Gaga to be in this camp based on his poor form. And maybe that it might not even be helpful for Gaga to be in this camp. What he needs right now is to focus on his club play. And that makes sense to me. Um, it does seem interesting for Gaga to make his decision when right now I think he's the fourth choice keeper for both nations at best, both Poland and the U.S. But what it comes down to is that he might never have really been making a decision. It might have been the U.S. all along. And so what was best for his career is just to clear up any confusion and to take away the speculation so that he can just focus on his normal day-to-day -day games. Yeah, that's totally fair. And I think we all forget as well that some players have a legitimate love for two or more countries. Some, And I'm not saying Gaga Slanina doesn't love Poland. Um, but I think when a player makes a statement like that, it at least says to me that they didn't really consider even playing for the other country, that it was always going to be the U.S., that there was no point in kind of playing, <laughs> you know, two teams against each other. They want to commit to this team because that's that's who they see themselves playing for and representing. That could be completely different for someone like Jonathan Gomez, who is between two nations that potentially his parents want him to play for one nation. He wants to play for another, or he has legitimate um, starting credibility or backup credibility for both teams. So every situation is different. I think we need to respect that. But for Gaga Slanina, I think as well, like it's not to say he, he doesn't appreciate the opportunity with Poland. It's just that he was maybe always going to be committed to the U.S. And that's an honorable decision for him to make, right? Rather than stringing Poland along and continuing to make them believe that there was interest when there wasn't. Yeah, definitely. So who who are the goalkeepers that maybe we should be considering? Because Seattle Sounders won the CONCACAF Champions League. There's lots of talk about Stefan Fry, who I think is 34 or 35 years old, has not really been a part of the national team. People are calling for him to be called in. Is, is that realistic or like are there other players that we should be thinking about? 
I don't think that there is anyone outside of those three I mentioned who's going to raise our level in the World Cup. I like the idea of bringing Stefan Fry into this camp as a fourth keeper. I think that it just kind of fits with that process in general of when you have a player who's talented and they're playing at a very high level, it is a good thing for them to be in camp. And you do have to balance it, right? I was talking before about skill set and about players like Paredes where you're getting very few minutes, but the skill set you've shown looks like it could translate well. But for a guy like Fry, I think having him in camp is healthy and motivating for the team. So you have Steph and you have Turner, you have Horvath. These guys have all been relative regulars under Burhalter. maybe Horvath a little less than the other two. Sean Johnson also has been a regular under Burhalter. And so I think things can get a little stale when it's always the same players. And bringing in a guy like Fry, even if he's not necessarily competing for a World Cup spot, just to push the other guys, that could be a good thing. It does feel weird to me because for all of my fandom for, I don't know, the two decades that I've really committed to learning everything I can about the U.S., the goalkeeper position has always had someone that is just a veteran, just that presence, even to be a second or third or fourth keeper. I think even as far back as like Tony Miola or Casey Keller, then to Brad Friedel and Tim Howard, we've always kind of had, even if they're not starting, we've had the veteran with a lot of experience, a lot of club success be there in that group to push them along. Personally, like I I just, I look at this group of Ethan Horvath, Zach Stefan, and Matt Turner. They're all 26, 27 years old. Most of them are not starting for their clubs and Matt Turner won't start for Arsenal when he gets transferred in the summer. I'm, I'm a bit worried, but how do you feel about this group going into the World Cup? I agree that it is a level down from what the U.S. has had in the past. And I'm a more recent U.S. fan, but even just having Tim Howard and Brad Guzan, who both were every week starters in the Premier League, where even if one of them went down, we still have another strong EPL starter that we can pull. Um, it is a step down from that. But I'm not too worried about playing time. I think that I think getting regular minutes is more important for field players than it is for goalkeepers. I don't think that it has helped Zach Steffen to sit on the bench, right? I do think that he's gotten a little rustier, but I don't think that most of his problems are caused by rust. It's not that he was this fantastic keeper and that because he's gone a season or two now without playing much, he's gone down significantly in his ability. I think that Steffen just takes risks and the way that he plays is not necessarily ideal for the U.S. So holding on to the ball until the last possible second as a defender presses him or um, coming out of goal often and then not necessarily claiming the ball and now we have an open net. Those kinds of plays and even his shot-stopping ability is a question mark. So um, there's in, in uh, soccer, you can't always rely on statistics, but in goalkeeping, I do love post-shot xg plus or minus so it just looks at um at the time of the shot how many goals went in versus what would ex what was expected and matt turner is dominant in this in this statistic he's a dominant mls shot stopper stefan's numbers were, were not actually that impressive at mls um he's very athletic um, but i think there are questions about his positioning and those statistics hold true on his loan at Fortuna Dusseldorf and during his time at Manchester City, he's never been an outstanding shot stopper by the stats. 
So I think that people have gotten a little carried away with Stefan because of his playoff saves against Atlanta United when he was back with Columbus Crew in MLS and because of his game against France when he was with the U.S. And like I said, because of his athleticism and if his positioning isn't very strong, then he can make an easy save look really difficult and look really impressive Looks good. with that <laughs> athletic ability. So I think those have been a combination of factors that have led us to overrate Stefan, as well as Greg keeping him as the U.S. number one for most of Greg's tenure. But I think with Horvath and Turner, we have two players who are both very strong shot stoppers. With Turner, we have um, tremendous statistical evidence to back, back that up based on his time in MLS. We don't have the detailed statistical models for Horvath, but he has shown it in the Champions League and in England and with the U.S. And I think Horvath is a little better with his feet than Turner. Um, so I think with those two, we are um, we're in pretty good hands. Okay. And would it be Stefan Fry that's the number four for you, or who would you be calling in as the fourth keeper? Yeah, I, for years I've admired Stefan Fry and Tim Melia in the MLS, and I do think Fry is um, is doing better. I think Melia is, might be the better uh, penalty stopper, but I think in the run of play for ninety minutes, I would take Fry. We've already got Horvath that have that has that lockdown for the U.S. That's right. <laughs> All right, so defenders, we have George Bello, Reggie Cannon, Cameron Carter Vickers makes his return, Aaron Long, Eric Palmer Brown, who helped Twa stay up in league on Anthony Robinson, who is now being promoted. They were the champions of the English championship. That's a mouthful. Joe Scali from Mönchengladbach. He had a really great start to the season, but cooled off more just game time and players being healthy above him in the depth chart. DeAndre, DeAndre Yedlin and Walker Zimmerman round out the defender pool. So Justin, talk to us. What names here should be locked on to be experimenting and building chemistry with? And who did we miss here? We should talk to, I think we have talked about the priorities a little bit, but when we talk about experimenting, the number one goal for this camp and the September camp should not necessarily be experimenting with new players. The goals should be to take our very best players, which generally are agreed upon. We're talking about Pulisic, Reyna, McKenney, Musa, Adams, Dest, Weah, um, and build with those players and try to figure out the best way to set up the attack, to score goals, um, to help them to have cohesion and chemistry on the field. And so that should be the number one priority, right? How do we get those, our best seven, eight, 10 players playing the best together with the best tactics so that we can do well at the World Cup? But that doesn't mean that that's the only thing we can do with these camp, uh, with the June and September camps. We also can say, these spots that have been held by Aaron Long, Christian Roldan, Jordan Morris, Paul Ariola, George Pillow, these spots can and should be up for grabs. And there can be competitions for these backup spots or these depth spots at the same time as the coaches mostly are focusing on those top seven, eight, 10 players. So looking at it that way, I think we have to start with the omission of John Brooks. There's been so much said about this. Greg Berhalter himself has said many specific and unique things each time Brooks has been left off a roster. Um, it seems clear that there is something Greg is not sharing about John Brooks, whether that is some kind of personal problem. If Brooks was not bought into Greg's system, um, if there's just a lack of respect between the two. We don't know that. Um, Brooks himself has released statements talking about his American identity being at stake, his willingness and his desire to be back with the U.S. team. Um, 
Brooks did go through a dip in form in the fall, but his form has been better. He's been back to his typical self, which is physically dominant and commanding, calm on the ball, incisive on the ball. Um, there is a question if the U.S. is playing with a really high line and we're exposing our center backs to being left out in the open 1v1 with pacey attackers, that isn't ideal for Brooks. I'll, I'll agree with that. Is um, it as simple as that? Like, I know we keep talking about the comments about Brooks versus Burhalter if there's something going on behind in the background, but can it be just as simple as Burhalter wants to play a high line, that's a weakness of John Brooks, and he's not getting any faster with age. Can it just be that simple? I don't think so. I would believe it, but that's something that Greg could say without shaming the player or without creating a controversy. It wouldn't be that hard to say. <laughs> yeah, we want to, you know, the, and, and he said things like that for one or two of the camps that Brooks has been left out of, but he said confusingly different other things for multiple other of the camps to the point where it just seems like it's something that's not being said. Yeah. And for us going into the World Cup, have we seen the last of John Brooks? And he is a free agent now. He's played his last game for Wolfsburg. Does it really matter from a U.S. perspective where he goes in his next team? Well, it matters if he goes to a club where he doesn't play or if he goes to a club that is a huge drop in level. But even even in one of those um, categories, it would be hard for me to imagine a situation where Brooks is not a top four center back because to me right now he's a clear starter even when we talked about his lack of speed and playing with a high line his lack of speed has not prevented him from working well in the bundesliga even in champions league um we haven't seen coaches drop him because he can't play their system and we know that those systems are in play at those high levels as well yeah so moving on from john brooks i assume you think he should be a part of this group needs to be on this roster what are the other names that we need to be thinking about? Well, it's unfortunate that Chris Richards and Miles Robinson are both unavailable. Um, I had been souring on Miles Robinson a bit this spring. I thought that Miles' performances in March were not very impressive, and his form in MLS had not been very strong either. Um, but he's shown well with the with the U.S., especially in the fall. So I was hoping that he could just get back to that high level. Um, but unfortunately, it looks like he's going to be out for the World Cup. Keep an eye on Reggie Cannon. I wonder if Berhalter might be interested in using Reggie as a center back. He has played as a center back at Boa Vista in Portugal. And Greg has talked about playing with three center backs in this camp, but only has four on the roster other than Cannon. Um, so you're not quite sure how that's going to pan out. Um, I think Eric Palmer Brown is the one to be really excited about. Um, with Brooks not on the roster, with Richards injured, EPB is the guy that I am watching the most closely and that I have the highest hopes for. Um, he's very calm on the ball. He routinely breaks the lines with his passing. He's very athletic, both in terms of speed and aerial ability. Um, he can be a little bit messy 1v1 defensively, but he is getting better at that. You know, we saw him bring down Kylian Mbappe for a penalty in Lingon just a few weeks ago. But that kind of experience is exactly what we should want for our players as we head toward the World Cup. And I think it needs to be said that also happens to the best players in the world. <laughs> yeah, he is not alone in having difficulty defending Kylian Mbappe. Yeah, that's not something that should disqualify you <laughs> from this US squad. I remember when Anthony Robinson got really burned by Douglas Costa against Brazil in 2018. And this caused this huge stir and it was a controversy and Jedi can't defend. 
but I don't know any of our fullbacks who would routinely play against a Brazilian starting winger yeah. who wouldn't struggle. <laughs> yeah. So in this spreadsheet, I do want to just touch on a few other names. James Sands, can you believe he played in a European Cup final last weekend? Is is that the reason why he's not on this roster? Just because he he's played so much, or not so much, but he had recent games that he needs to take care of his body and, and kind of come back into it. Yes, I think Sands does fall into that same category with Pepe and Busio of needing the rest. Um, he's not a player that excites me overly much. Um, he, Like you said, he, he played in the Europa League final, and he played a nice ball that led to a goal in that final as well, or led to a shot. I Almost goal. Uh, yeah. Should have been goal. <laughs> Let me not overstate it. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, I don't – you know, he looked good in the Gold Cup – um, he looked very bad in September World Cup qualifying, but he was also placed in a two-man midfield beside Kellen Acosta, if I remember correctly. Yeah, everyone um, gets a pass from that midfield, yes. which was two people. <laughs> yeah, it was not a great setup. So so he's a player who I'm interested in, but I don't see him, again, moving the needle either as a center back or as a defensive midfielder for us. Um, I certainly wouldn't have minded seeing him on the roster. It's good to have European champions on the in the, in the squad, but I, I'm not upset that he's left out either. Yeah. Let me just touch on two other potential names. Justin Shea is someone that can play center back and right back. Finally got his uh, some time with Hoffenheim in the last few games of the season. And then Tim Ream, uh, again with Anthony Robinson. Tim Ream was captaining a Fulham side that completely destroyed and ran away with the English Championship. He also signed an extension, so he will be confirmed back with Fulham in the Premier League next season. We don't know how much time he'll be getting or playing time. Are, they're kind of on two opposite ends of the spectrum, right? Justin Shea is very young, doesn't have a lot of playing time, but a lot of potential. Tim Ream is probably in the twilight of his career, but is still performing at an incredibly high level and has just won one of the most difficult leagues in the world. So where do those two stand and where you see the depth chart of the center backs? I'm excited about Justin Shea's future, but I don't think that he's at a level... Um, that will be helpful to the U.S. right now, and it's—I could be wrong about that. You know, it's—it's it's so difficult to judge when these players are on the outside of top-level teams like him at Hoffenheim. But in his most recent appearance, he was getting rinsed repeatedly and um, just getting roasted by um, by the opponents, and that wasn't good to see. He was playing more of a right wing back in that game, so that was interesting. So I'm intrigued by Jay's by Jay's potential. He's very good on the ball, very comfortable driving forward. I think he does need to grow into his defending with Tim Ream. He's had a good season in the championship, but I don't think that season marks some sort of change in his timeline as a player. Um, Ream has always been very good in the championship. And then if, and when Fulham are promoted to the premier league, Ream plays less, sometimes plays sparingly or very little. Um, he's a player who is one of the best at that second level. And then when you get up to the Premier League where the speed and the intensity of play, the athleticism required is higher, he seems to struggle. And that's been true as well when we see Reem with the U.S., especially when he's deployed as a left back. So if it was at center back only, I guess I wouldn't mind Reem. The problem is that we do have other distributor center backs who can do more. We have John Brooks, we have Chris Richards, we have Eric Palmer-Brown. All of them are strong distributors who offers significantly more athletic ability than Tim Ream does. Yeah. Anything else to say on the defender core before I move on to midfielders? 
Oh, I'm curious to talk with you about Cameron Carter Vickers. He's, sure. He's a Scottish champion. There are rumors of Premier League clubs trying to sign him now. Um, I'm Like I said, I'm glad that he's in camp. I kind of feel not quite the same, but similar to the Stefan Fry conversation of he's a player who is one of the best in his league. He's just won the league. He's in very good form, and he does have a good skill set. So it's good that he's here. But he's just an all-around good player, you know, strong defensively, very physically strong and commanding. Um, he's pretty good in the air despite lacking height a little bit. Um, not the fastest on the ground. He can get beat for speed. Um, and he's good on the ball, can play out of pressure, but he's not going to look to take responsibility to break the lines and open up um, the, the buildup for us. So I guess, how do you see him fitting in? I think I think of him a bit like a shorter Walker Zimmerman who's a little better on the ball. Like, how do, how do you think about it? I, I think that's a great way to see it. And for me, Cameron Carter Vickers is more of a Swiss Army knife as a center back rather than a specialist in one area versus the other. I think when I look at Aaron Long and being a Red Bull fan, like I've seen the way that he's able to play a very high line and the way that he's able to recover. I've seen Walker Zimmerman be able to really lock down that center of the box and really command his defense. I've seen, you know, even Eric Palmer Brown, again, at Trois is playing in a back three incredibly well. Cameron Carter Vickers, to me, in this camp, I want to see validation for his club form. But at the same time, it's like the the question for me is how high is that level? Because if you don't know anything about the Scottish Premier League or Premiership, Celtic and Rangers essentially spend 50 to 100 times more on transfers and wages than every other team in the league. There's no possible way that any other team will be in contention for the the top two spots. So Cameron Carter-Vickers is one of the best in the league. There's no question about that. But how high is that talent level? What is the bar for him being one of the best defenders? But then you think about how he's performed in cup competitions, in European competitions. He's performed really well, and he's performed at the level of the competition. So for me, I see his skill set as more of an all-rounder as more of a Swiss army knife when we just, we need stability in the back in our center backs, especially if we play in a back three, like you, you probably want one or two players that can play the ball, one or two players that can recover. And maybe one player that can do a little bit of everything. And for me, that's what Cameron Carter Vickers is on the back line. But I, this, these four games are really important to me in a sense of a true test uh, and a test of talent, a test of how high is his bar what can he actually bring to this team? Because a skill set is one that we could use. It's just he he's almost taken like a a classic American um like development cycle where he, he's very physical, he's very large, he's easy to spot on the pitch. And when I think about American coaching for a long time, it's been like who's the biggest kid <laughs> and then how can we make him a good soccer player after that for me i think that's what's helped cameron carter vickers get to this level is that he's always been huge you watch um interviews with like the u17 teams and he's next to tyler adams he could eat him he's like twice his size um but now that he's playing with grown men he's still performing well but i think it was much easier for him at a younger age to be a really large physical imposing player in the center back position 
Whereas now he's needed to round out that skill set a bit more. And to be fair, he has. Like he is, like you said, he's being pursued by Premier League teams. So I just want to see if that's real or not. <laughs> is mm-hmm. my my long story short, I want to see if his talent is real. And these are the four games where we can do that. Yeah, and I would like to see him make that Premier League move. I think it's it's tricky because it's been good for him to be at Celtic. You know, he's experienced a lot of success, but I don't know if he's gotten tested defensively the way that we would like. And you could make that same case for Zimmerman and Long, right? You'd love to see all these guys in the most difficult leagues possible so that they're facing the strongest attackers possible and that they're either getting exposed, that they're learning and growing through those things. So hopefully he takes that step. But um, I do, again, my focus for this camp is on Palmer Brown. I want to see EPB play. I want to see him play out of the back and um, help us out with our buildup. I was surprised. If I'm remembering correctly, EPB played a few minutes at the end of the Mexico game in the Azteca as a right wing back. Uh, I was really surprised at the trust that Greg had in him to play in that position. It might have been his first cap even, or maybe his first competitive cap, was in that game in the Azteca trying to lock down that draw. Um, That to me just, it seemed way out of left field, but at the same time it was really nice because we had been kind of calling for him to get that time and to see him on the pitch for the U.S. team for a long time. Yeah, and... There was a conversation that EPB had an interview recently where he shared, Greg asked him, have you ever played right back before? And Eric said, no, I haven't. (laughs) (laughs) And Greg still rolled him out there. But he does have a really good profile. He's um, tall. He's fast. He's good in the air. He's good on the ball. You know, that 1v1 defending, um, I do think he can still grow in that. But it's important to note that that doesn't mean that he's a bad defender. His positioning and his awareness and his movement, I think, are all very good defensively. He does just tend to reach in and stab or go to the ground. And those can be high risk, high reward plays, right? But the, the risk isn't always worth it. Yeah, definitely. And before we move to midfielders, just a quick yes or no question. Will we see Jonathan Gomez before the World Cup for the U.S. men's national team? No. Okay. Sad, sad times for any Jogo fans out there. But let's round this out and talk about our midfielders. We have Kellen Acosta. Tyler Adams, who has just won the first trophy for RB Leipzig, the DFB Pokal in Germany. Luca De La Torre has been relegated with Heracles, but his contract is up, so he will be finding a new team next season. Weston McKinney, again, coming back from that fractured foot injury. Georgi Mihalovic, a name that a lot of us will be very happy to see and is on blazing form in Major League Soccer. Eunice Musa comes back after a full season of good playing time in, in La Liga this season. Christian Roldan, 31 appearances, zero goals still. I want to know if you think he will have a goal before he ends his U.S. team career. And then Malik Tillman, we've spoken a little bit about him in the forward position, but he can play a 9, a 10, a wing position, maybe an 8, as Greg would see him. But let's talk about this, these midfielders, and maybe let's start at the 6. So Kellen Acosta and Tyler Adams are really the only players that we really lean on in that position. James Sands is maybe another name that could potentially be here, but anyone else in the center defensive mids that we should have called in, or is our Tyler Adams and Kellen Acosta, basically that's it. That's who we're bringing to the World Cup in that sixth position. I think it most likely will be the two of them. We do have a few other players in the pool. I think the one that's the most intriguing to me is Amir Richardson. He's a regular France U20 call-up. He plays with Le Havre in uh, League Two. Um so the second division in France. He's a very technical player, though. So he's maybe a little bit more similar to Johnny Cardoso 
and wants to get on the ball, might not be as trustworthy defensively, and that's not what we need from our six. I, it's interesting, though, as a roster-building exercise, Tyler Adams is a lock for the World Cup. Weston McKinney, Eunice Musa are also locks for the World Cup, if healthy. I don't know that you necessarily need Kellen Acosta. And if we have, let's say, a 26-man roster, then I'm happy to have him um, just to give us more tactical flexibility. Um, I think I would do that with the agreement that he never play a position other than the six, um, not the eight, not fullback. But I wonder what you think about that, where we have Weston McKinney, who has played the six for Schalke, has a tremendous amount of defensive responsibility in his role at Juventus. Yunus Musa, also strong defensively, also very good at dropping deep to pick the ball up from the center backs and progressing forward. And sometimes the best team is not comprised of the best individual players. Maybe that's the case where Acosta comes in, but as a fan of this team and someone who studies the player pool and enjoys watching these guys play, I'm intrigued to find a way where we can get Pulisic, Reyna, Weah, Pepe, Aronson, McKinney, Musa, maybe not all of them, but as many of those talented players on the field as possible. And I think maybe the way to do that is to drop McKinney or Musa to the six, especially if Adams is going to be rested or he's injured or he's not going to be playing. What are your thoughts about yeah. that? I think Greg kind of pigeonholes himself in these positions, and that's where we need to figure out a different it's not even a different formation. It's just stylistically, how are we playing when those really critical pieces are not on the pitch for us? So what I mean by that is Tyler Adams is a very specific type of defensive midfielder where he's really not looking to advance the ball. Like we have other players like Eunice Musa and Weston McKinney that Tyler Adams will get the ball to, and then they will do the work to move the ball off the pitch. Tyler Adams is someone that sits in front of the defensive line and helps to protect that back line helps to recover the balls when we lose it is a very good at pressing when we don't have tyler adams on the pitch the the way the entire team plays is different so i think one of the things that i would like greg to figure out and you kind of touched on this is how do we get the best team on the field when tyler adams is not available or when he needs rest because he does a lot of running. Part of what makes him so good is that he closes down players incredibly fast. He covers all areas of the pitch incredibly well, and that requires a lot of energy. For me, Weston McKinney has played a defensive midfielder role for Schalke before. We haven't really seen it at Juventus. Um, but when you're thinking about the front three or the front four, we could potentially see Weston McKinney at the six, Yunus Musa and maybe Gio Reyna at the eight. Then our front three could potentially be Tim Weah, Brendan Aronson, and Christian Pulisic playing as kind of a Chelsea front three where they're interchanging their positions. That would take a lot of practice. That would take a lot of chemistry to build. But in my mind, like that front six is Champions League quality, Champions League starter quality. That, mm -hmm. that, front six could compete in a Champions League knockout stage round. So that, and that's no slight to Tyler Adams. I'm actually one of Tyler Adams' biggest fans. I just think when he's not available, that's one of the things that Greg needs to solve because I mean, God forbid he goes down with an injury or isn't available during the World Cup and we've completely built our identity and our style around having a defensive midfielder like him on the field, then we're, we're in huge, huge trouble. 
So that's my perspective. I think Tyler Adams is a player that makes us the best team when he's on the pitch. But if he's not available, trying to play the same way that we do when Tyler Adams is on the field is wrong. Agreed. Yeah, it's and there are multiple ways we could go about it too, right? We could have either McKinney or Musa play in a role that's kind of similar to Adams where just one of them has more of the defensive responsibility and dropping deep to cover. You obviously don't want to limit them too much because they are so helpful in progressing the ball, especially McKinney, but they can also share that responsibility. So when one goes forward, the other drops back to make sure that we're still covered defensively. And then it would be lovely to have Reyna healthy for this summer window. I think it's really going to hurt us that we're missing Geo um, because that midfield you described, I think, is something that really should have been tested before now. Um, but even without Reyna, we have Luca de la Torre, so we could do a McKenny Musa Luca midfield. We could try something that's um, maybe not a true 4 2 3 1. I think people get hung up on the formations sometimes, but just slightly tweaking that midfield so that you can play Aronson more central, and then you have McKenny and Musa underneath them, and you can have the wingers ahead of that. So there are lots of ways to do it, and we shouldn't, it's, it's as you said, we shouldn't be locked into this one way especially yeah. when we have players who are injury prone. And not to get too far away from the midfielder conversation, but I, I think what people either don't really understand or maybe forget a lot is that when we, when you talk about a formation, when you say 4-2-3-1 or 4-3-3, that is usually how the team sets up defensively when they're without the ball, when they're able to get back into a shape. Almost every team in the modern game has positional play, which means players play in all different positions, that they take up all different types of spaces. So just because we're talking about playing in a 4-2-3-1 or a 4-3-3, all, of, all that means is that when we're without the ball and we're able to settle back into our formation, that's how we look. But when we're in attack, almost every team plays differently and plays differently against different opponents. So it's, for me, in, in the modern game that we play, when everyone can play different positions and interchange positions with each other, it's more important to build that chemistry and have the best players on the field and have a style and an identity that elevates those skill sets rather than worrying too much about our formation and who's going to play in each position. Yeah, especially because with soccer being a weak link sport, we want to make sure that every player on the field is going to be up to the level that we are getting from Christian Pulisic, Timothy Weah, Weston yeah. McKenney. We don't want to have one player, whether it is Kellen Acosta or whether it's Paul Ariola or whoever it is, that's in this group where we have positional play and we have them co combining and interchanging with the ball, but it breaks down because someone's not up to the level. Yeah. Have you read The Numbers Game? No. It's a book. Okay, so they try and debunk some of the longest-held beliefs in soccer using statistics. And they have a whole chapter about the weak link theory and how it how it's applicable to soccer. And for anyone that has no idea what we're talking about, essentially all it means is that soccer is a sport where, especially for the 10 field players, your weakest link really does bring down the value and the efficiency of the rest of your team. So the closer you can get the worst player to be at the level of your best player, that creates a, I mean, it's kind of intuitive, but especially in soccer, that creates a much better performance, especially on a consistent level across um, 30 games in a league season. But 
anyways, we, we did get away from the midfielder conversation. Um, Luca De La Torre, Weston McKinney, uh, Eunice Musa are all players that I'm assuming you're very happy to see on this roster. We Something that we don't really talk about a lot because um, Greg Berhalter doesn't really seem to appreciate number 10s is Georgi Mihaljevic, a player that has kind of been on the fringes and been talked about for a long time in the U.S. circles. Hasn't really bring, been brought in because he does play that number 10, but now has taken up more of a winger position, more of an advanced forward position for his club team in Montreal. And again, blazing form in MLS. Georgi Mihaljevic, does he deserve to be on this roster? Are you happy to see him here? Absolutely. You know, there's such a divide between fans of the USMNT who rate MLS highly and fans of the USMNT who critique MLS or think that maybe there are too many MLS players on USMNT rosters. But I think everyone agrees that when we have an American player who is close to MVP level in the league, that's a player who should be part of the national team. Yeah, absolutely. And then Christian Roldan, the Seattle Sounders man, has 31 appearances and zero goals. Will Christian Roldan ever score a goal for the U.S. national team? He certainly could. You know, Roldan has scored some very good goals for Seattle. He's scored some bangers um, outside the box. He can strike the ball well. Now, that's over multiple seasons of 20, 30-plus games, so I'm not sure about the sample size. Um, and he just seems to, to me, he seems to play differently with the national team than he does with Seattle. Maybe there's mentality there. Maybe it's the way he's deployed. I think some players just fit perfectly into the tactical setup of certain teams. I think Roldan is such a player with Seattle. And he's flexible too, right? He's played as one of their double sixes. He's played as a winger there. I don't know if he's played the 10 role, but it wouldn't surprise me. Um, but no, there are also players where Roldan, maybe not all-star level in MLS, but certainly a strong contributor for one of the best teams in the league. They just lifted the CONCACAF Champions League, and he was part of that. But it's never looked like that was going to translate for the international stage. And yeah. that's something that a coach needs to be able to identify. This will be Roldan's 16th camp under Greg Berhalter. He's played over a thousand minutes under Greg. And if Greg hasn't been able to identify that problem, or if Greg values Roldan's locker room contributions more highly, I think that's a problem. Yeah. I mean, just look at someone like John Brooks, who maybe Greg has identified doesn't perform for the national team, but plays on a, at least this season, was a Champions League team. I think you need to say that he's ready to make that call when it comes to potentially an MLS player. So who did we miss? Who are the names that were left off and potentially needed to be a part of this roster in the midfield? Well, what is a little frustrating about the lack of testing, although I do want to recognize having Georgie and even having Tillman in camp could be helpful for the midfield. I'm glad that both of them are there. Um, but we have a lot of options who could be there. So we have Alan Senora, Paxton Pomichol, Dwayne Holmes, Eric Williamson, Berhalter did say Williamson is still working his way back to full fitness after an injury issue, and then he's become injured again since the roster has come out. Timothy Tillman is one that I would have loved to see. I think Tim Tillman and Alex Mendez are the two that really are technical. Um, Till Tillman is a dribbler. He gets the ball and he wants to beat his man, but he is also a good passer. Um, he did well in the Bundesliga despite being on the worst team in the league over the past season. They've now been relegated. 
Um, but I think it's it is a shame that we didn't get the older brother along with Malik. Um, so Tillman's one. Um, Alex Mendez is just a special player, and I think for years Mendez has been seen as a luxury player, one who doesn't play defense, doesn't have the athleticism to get back or the speed to get back or play the pressure style that we want to. His his defense and his movement and his positioning have improved significantly this past year in Portugal. Not to where he's going to step on the field and replicate what we get from McKenny or Musa, but we don't need that from every player. And Mendez is a guy who can pick a lock, find the opening in the final third, play that special pass, or even take that special shot to beat the defense. And we do have some players like that in the pool. I think Gio Reyna is one. Richie Ledesma is another when healthy. But it is an area that we lack, and we don't have any necessarily on this one roster. So I would have loved to see Mendez get a shot. And Taylor Booth is another where he's been playing in the regional Liga this season in the fourth tier with Bayern's reserves. He'll be moving to the Eredivisie in the fall where he'll play with Utrecht. Um, every time I've watched Booth play, I've come away very impressed. Um, he was in the December camp with the U.S., but did not feature um, – so he's a guy who maybe is a little bit further outside, but I think could surprise people this fall. Maybe he's one that does get that look in September or is a late addition. Awesome. All right, I will let you round us off then for the summer roster, the June 2022 USMNT roster. What's the one priority we need to be going into these games with? It's to build chemistry and cohesion with the attackers. Awesome. Yeah. Well said. Very succinct. All right, Justin Moran, thank you so much for joining us. We did look at a spreadsheet that you had built, so I just want to give you a few seconds to talk about what you're about, what your Twitter is about, and how people can find you and that wonderful spreadsheet that we were using. Well, thanks, Jake. There are two spreadsheets that I've spent a significant amount of time on. You can find links to both of them in my Twitter profile. My handle is kickswish. Um, the scouting tool is a video database um so i've tried to take every compilation every clip that i see on twitter or on youtube that's for a player who is realistically in the, in the u.s pool we have almost a thousand clips we're over 900 now in the database and it's sorted by position so anybody can access that and the actual player pool spreadsheet itself is the one that i started years ago after we missed the world cup in Cuba. Um, there's also a link to that one in my profile. So anybody can access those spreadsheets. I will say uh, for true nerds out there like me who would want to use filters, um, the spreadsheets are locked for editing, but you can create custom filter views that would allow you to use the spreadsheet more usefully. And anyone is always welcome to send me a DM or reach out. I'm always happy to help and see how my stuff can be more useful and how others can enjoy it. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for the effort for putting that all together. And everyone go check out Justin at KickSwish. And we'll see you next time on FIFA America. Peace. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.